Welcome to The Porch. I'm Lindsay Bacardo, keynote speaker and virtual presenter for organizations who want to build strong, multi-generational teams. I believe that the modern day leader has a moral obligation to grow personally and lead others from a grounded and healthy and healed place. You're going to hear me bring on psychologists, neuroscience experts, storytellers, emotional intelligence researchers, really anything that helps a leader grow personally and ultimately impact the culture of their organization. This is where I bring my favorite thought leaders on these topics to teach and mentor us through our own growth. I'm so glad you're here and welcome to The Porch. Today we have one of my dear friends, Mrs. Shopshire! Where's my, where's my confetti cannons? <laughs> she is an author, a speaker, a coach. She started her career in sales and she reached the top 2% of a multi-billion dollar company. She held that position for over a decade. And during that time, she learned a lot about building teams, leading them well, working towards a shared vision. And through that experience, her next stage in life, becoming a certified coach and now an author. She's got this fantastic book. I pulled it up on my phone because I'm a millennial, Forces at Work. It's unbelievable. If you've ever wondered what it's like to have a coach in your corner, you've got to grab this book on Amazon. We'll make sure to put the link in comments. But Missy, I'm so freaking excited to have you here and ask you all these questions about your life's work. Thank you, Linz. I'm I love being here. This is probably going to be don't tell people, but the favorite podcast that I do. <laughs> I like that. All technicians, this is her favorite. I yeah. love it. I mean, just because of the relationship that we have. I mean, we have known each other for a long time. And you know, they yes. say that when you when you marry someone, you actually marry seven different people because they change. And I feel like I've been through at least three of your iterations of who you are. <laughs> that and, is accurate. and vice versa, and and you for me as well. I think there's something really special about the few friends that can move through different life stages with you because, you know, life is challenging and your book tells the story of all the challenges. Will you just share with us? Because I think, Missy, I think people look at your life and they're like, must be nice. Gee, that seems like this. She makes success look easy. Will you just share? And they're in your book. So all the details are there. But just some of the things you've been through, aka near-death experiences yeah. that have shaped you. Life hasn't always been easy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the original title of the book was Cancer, Crisis, Coma, but um, no one was buying that. So <laughs> we, had to, <laughs> we had to work that through. But yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I mean, I was talking with a potential client yesterday and he is going through it. It's just like every time he stands up, he gets knocked down, gets knocked down. And um, that is... That that's definitely how my life felt for a season of time. And it was probably the season right before you and I met where, you know, I was going through some extreme relational difficulties in my marriage. I was in a ministry organization, as you're familiar with, that didn't probably fully appreciate the struggle that I was going through. And um, and then, um, you know, right as we were kind of just getting our feet under us, our daughter was diagnosed with kidney cancer. She was four years old at the time. It was like I had a perfect, perfectly healthy child one day and the next day she was fighting for her life. And um, it was really a rough season. And then right as soon as she got through her treatment, you know, chemotherapy, radiation surgery, all that she had to go through, we finally started to have a couple normal days. And then I ended up getting sick after our youngest son, Jack, was born. Just 
um, like flatlining in a coma for four days and really not expected to live. So, but all of that is part of our story, you know, and yes. for me, for me, it was, it's what, where I am today, because up to that point, like, as you mentioned, I had this great sales career and it looked great to everybody else. <laughs> and I, but I felt incredibly misaligned. And when you're dealing with crises, you know, in your personal life and with your kids and all that kind of stuff, you just keep doing what you're doing because you got to put food on the table and you're taking care of people. And it's not a good time to get real introspective and do your self-discovery, really. <laughs> so, so, but what happened is the coma, I, I mean, I share this in the book, Grace's illness slowed me down. And then the coma really stopped me in my tracks, literally. Literally. And so I, I woke up different from that experience because I had always had this nagging in the back of my head that my life was misaligned and I want to do something else. But I was so invested in my current reality, so invested in my, and everyone, it made sense to no one when I left that career, except for me. And so that's those challenges. If you're going through challenges like that, I'll say what I said to this guy yesterday that is an opportunity for a blank slate for you. It's an opportunity for you to reassess and look at those lessons and look at what is really inside of you that you really want to do. And and more importantly, who do you really want to be? And, um, and that's why I wrote the book because I, I run into people all the time who successful people and I see them, I recognize them right away where they're, they're checking all the boxes and they look successful, but inwardly they're, they're discontent. And then they feel guilty about that. They should be grateful because things are going good for them. So, yeah. That's really true. I think it's just so important that to pull the curtain back a bit and to say there's other things going on. No one has got all the pieces in place all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of layers to you know who you become. And sometimes you become wildly successful in an area, but your definition of success changes too. Yeah. You actually want something different. You want more alignment. You want something different in your life. Yeah. And it's not always about changing career. You know, one of the bestseller categories that we hit was career. um, And and I think that a lot of people do come to me when they're in transition or when they're maybe, um, you know, investigating a new career or kind of toying with that idea. But it's not always that when you come into this kind of a coaching atmosphere that you change your career, you might change how you approach your career and um, the boundaries that you set and put in place. So I don't want people to think that forces at work is all you have to change, you know, completely overhaul your life, but it is getting clarity on who you are, how you want to show up in the world. That's so good because it makes sense that a career shift is like a trigger for needing support, but it, what I hear and what I've seen in your life is there's always room to grow somewhere and we're happier when we're growing. We're happier yeah. when we are using our imagination for us. We're happier when we're mm-hmm. looking at, you know, what we can grow towards versus status quo. Yeah. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. And I think there's a shift for that, you know, with, with when positive psychology kind of has been ushered in since really only since the 1990s, if we're, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a new concept and it's changing things, you know, it's changing, like the fixed mindset is what leads to this idea that we're going to arrive someday. And uh, we're going to just, we're just going to martyr ourselves until we arrive. And then it's all going to be peaceful and wonderful. And that really just isn't how it works, you know? Um, and I'm not all for like, you have to constantly be growing and achieving and burning yourself out. But you're exactly right when you say we're happier and healthier when we are growing. Yeah. 
What do you think when it's not career kind of design and next steps, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing leaders today? What do you see as kind of the pieces that they're trying to grow through? Well, I, I think leaders and humans in general, what, what, what really is on my heart right now, what I see people struggling with is noise. And it's this, the age of information, it's, it's not even that anymore. It's just, it has completely blown out. And you, you talk about AI. Now people can create content without even really creating it. It just is on autopilot. And there's so much information out there. And I think as leaders, we want to be in the know. We want to know stuff. And we think that if we, if we're knowing stuff, we're growing and, and collecting information does not equal growth. And so I think that I help my clients, you know, uh, who it was, um, Her, Herbert Simon, I think he's the guy that said that a wealth of, um, a wealth of information leads to a, a poverty of intention or attention. Yeah. And so we have limited cognitive abil- abilities to yep. process all this noise. And I see people going outside of themselves for the answers. There's, and, and there's more and more. Now, now you used to go on a one-day journey to go find some information and come back. Well, now you can go on that journey and never come back because there's more and more information out there. It's accessible to everyone. And I think what I want to help people do is get, get some information, but then have regular periods of time in your life where you're processing that information and when you're internalizing it and when you're letting some of it go, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I think we talk about best practices and it kind of doesn't serve us well because we feel safe. Oh, this is the best practice. I'm going to do that. But we have to, we have to use our own agency to, ter- to determine what is the best practice for us. That's so good. That was a lot. I, I, this is, I'm really just starting to like, I wrote the book and now I'm already kind of like, Oh, what's the next level? What am I talking about with this now? And so, um, that this noise and, and with the, with the development of AI recently, I just think it's it's just going to become more and more important that we teach people how to turn inward. Yes. And let some of all that go. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting because it's really coming at us in every direction. Even when I watch, I noticed this, this is so weird, Missy, but when I watch TikTok, TikTok has trained its algorithm for me to yeah. show me personal growth, gluten-free foods, and rescue <laughs> dogs. That's yeah. what my TikTok is. And based on my temperament, every time I see a new video about a gluten-free pumpkin spice roll or dogs that need rescuing in Texas, I feel this go get them action. My, my activator kicks in and I feel like I need to do something. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's such a short distance and it depends on our temperament, but there's such a short distance between me learning a random fact that just randomly (laughs) came into my life and me feeling like I need to act on it. And that's exhausting. That's one of the reasons I just started playing like games on my phone to relax instead of like silly block games instead of social media, because you're right. There's so much content coming in. What do I act on? I feel overwhelmed all the time. And it's so targeted to you. It feels like this is for me, you know, but it's not, it it can't be because it's, we have a limit. So, um, you know, Herbert Simon, like he's the one who's had this quote, uh, wealth of information leads to a poverty of attention. And so if you follow Deepak Chopra, he talks about the tools of manifesting. And I know I don't want to get too weird here, but um, the tools of manifesting are attention and intention. Ooh. And so content and information consumes attention. 
So if you think of it that way, like we're not consuming content as much as content is consuming our attention. And we don't have unlimited amounts of attention. So I think we just start spinning and working harder and harder. And it's so hard to turn off the content machine. And we don't want to miss out. You know, we don't want to not know something that other people know. Um, but I, I more and more, I think that we have wisdom inside of us that is so untapped. And that's what the world needs is it's and that's what I describe as a force at work. A force at work is someone who knows who they are. They know what they bring to the world. They know the impact and the contribution that they want to make. Yep. And they let some of that information go because you cannot chase every shiny object and have that sense of stability and groundedness and be who you need to be in the world. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. What are some things that you do that help you not get just absolutely consumed by data coming in everywhere? Yeah, it, it's a mindset for sure. It's number mm -hmm. one, it's just acknowledging, I don't need to know everything. This is the first time in history where we've been able to have access to every event that's going on in the world. And we were not built for it. We were not built to carry it all. So first of all, it's just having that mindset that, you know, my mom used to say, you know, not everyone's going to like you. You're not for everyone. Well, yep. you have to be very selective of your diet and your content diet, I think, both the what you're consuming and how much you're consuming. For my 50th birthday a couple of years ago, I my family asked me what I would want for my birthday. It was during COVID. And I literally just went inside and thought, what would I really want? You know, if this is the last big ask I get, what, what it's going to be? <laughs> and I realized I wanted what came to my mind was 30 days alone on a beach. And that's what I asked for. And I went to Estero Beach and I walked by myself on the beach for 30 days. I didn't turn the TV on. I didn't turn the radio on. I mean, I had my phone and I did listen. To, I mean, listen to things, but it was definitely a content diet. And it was the best thing I ever did for myself. And so I, I structure, I try to structure daily time yep. um, where I have quiet. I do a lot of walking. Um, I walk a lot every day. And so that's the daily stuff, but also scheduling in longer term um, silent retreats. I, I, mean, I, haven't, I haven't done a silent retreat yet with anyone else, but I'm, I think I might do that. It's, it's appealing. It's calling me. It's amazing too, because I wonder if you, if it takes a little bit of training you to go from constant input to just absolute yeah. silence. What did you notice in those 30 days? What did you notice happened to your mind? You know, day one walking on the beach versus day 30, what would we have seen that was different in the way that your mind was working? Um, well, I panicked when I first got there. I, yeah. um, the first couple of days it rained. And so I wasn't able to be out on the beach and I was stuck and it was in this muggy little condo and, and the rain was just pouring down and I was missing people. And oh my gosh, my ego just went crazy. Like this was so selfish. Who asked to be 30 days away from their family for their birth? I mean, it was just like crazy. But when I settled down, it, I just became so much more peaceful and centered. I saw every issue that I was facing in my life differently. Um, hmm. I also stopped listening to, I started listening to more long form um, content. And I write about, and that's one of the reasons I wrote a book too, because there's something about reading a book that requires us to be more patient and to have, you know, to stick with a book all the way through. So yep. th that was one of the big changes that happened. And I've always been a reader, but just um, not, not flitting around as much on social media, but just finding some t something that I'm interested in, an author that I respect and digging in there.
That is very curious because th- there's also you talk about a different version of this in your book, but this eat project where you eliminate all tolerations. Yeah. And this kind of like echoes to that for me, where there's this element of not how do I add more stuff to be more successful, to be more something, but I need to start stripping things out first. Let's not cram more in, but yeah, what can I uh, eliminate? It's, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Well, it's way easier to start something new than it is to quit something, you know, because there's so many things. And, you know, Bob Goff, who uh, he's my hero and he wrote the forward for the book. He, he says that he quits something every Thursday. Like he makes that part of his. So you see how he did that? It's a proactive thing. It's something that he's doing. Like I have to check off that box. I have to quit something every Thursday because he has a huge platform and a lot of people that are asking him for stuff and, and really important things that he's doing. And so I love that idea of kind of flipping that around and say, what, what do I need to quit this week? Um, so that that's one thing. And then the EAT project is EAT stands for Eliminate All Tolerations. And if you're in a coaching relationship, your coach should be walking you through this on a regular basis. It's like being super honest with yourself. If no one was going to judge you, what would you cross off your list? And also, what are the things that you're judging yourself about um, that are bugging yeah. you? And it, it can be anything from a dirty house, a cluttered closet, clothes that don't fit, a relationship that has gone askew that needs to be repaired. It's just whatever is taking your energy. You know, it's these incompletes. We call them incompletes in the coaching world. What, they're taking your energy. And when I first did the EAT project, or the, that, the first time I ever did that exercise, I had a yellow legal pad and I had pages and pages and pages of crap that when you really start to think, and you keep it with you for a couple of days and you're amazed at how much, you, you thought you are a pretty chill person. And I'm like, no, there's a lot of things bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I think I'm pretty chill and pretty cool. I'm like, oh my God, I got eight pages um, back to back of stuff that bugs me. But now when I sit down to do the EAT project, I struggle to come up with even three or four things because That's you get on top of that. And then it becomes a way of life and you make better decisions because you don't want to have to a week later, write that down on your pad. Like, if you're thinking, maybe I don't want to do this, uh, you'd probably lean more towards pausing and saying no than jumping in and saying yes. Ooh, that's good. Because we do have this propensity, don't we, to to say yes. Why not? Yeah. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to disappoint. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll do and, it. And then the whole time. And in, and in my case, too, is I don't want to miss out. What if this is a great opportunity? What if this is the best thing I've ever done? You know, so it does definitely... And and I think, too, another thing that really helps me, Linz, is having a grounding intention. And that is, so one year my intention was elevate. And I wanted to elevate my life and my business. Well, it, during that year, I said yes to a lot of things. And I was okay with that because that was what I was, that was what my soul was kind of calling me to do and how to grow. Well, one year my word was slow. And I, I hated that word when, when it came to me. And like, I, I really feel like your word finds you when you do that, the word of the year. If you don't know what I'm talking yeah. about, I read about it in the book. Yep. But, um, but so the word kept coming back to me slow. And you know, I am not slow. I like to go, go, go and do stuff. And, but that word just wooed me. And I was like, what if my life did slow down? What would it be like? And I, and so I did a whole year of slow. And then the next year when I wanted to set my word for the year, it was slower oh. <laughs> because I loved it so much. I wanted to do it even more. And then the third year it was COVID. And then it was kind of like, stop, you know? So yeah. I, it's really counterintuitive, I think, in our world today to stop and slow down and, and come, you know, withdraw. 
but it's so valuable. And I just know probably for the rest of my life, there's going to be seasons where I need to do that. Mm -hmm. And because we do have such a, a strong draw towards speed, more, 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 more. And we really do, we have biological limitations of what we can really do. And instead of, you've been such a model for me of instead of pushing myself to the very biological limits, what if I, what if I went the opposite and said, what can I do to keep some headspace? What if I only use 50% of my energy and hold on to 50% every day? How would I feel after a year of that? And we were not taught that coming up. I don't know where I got this impression that I was supposed to give until I dropped and yeah. then rest. Um, yep. So I think it's much more balanced, but I, I am even, even more so like, I, I feel like I'm balancing the other way where I have lots more time to myself and that helps me give, you know, better. I went out to Anaheim last week to see Bob Goff and I was able to take my teenage son with me. And what I appreciate about him so much is, you know, Bob Goff, we talk about scaling and that's all the rage and we got to scale our business. And, you know, I've, I've never really been in love with that idea. And I see someone like Bob Goff, who is a four time bestselling author. He fills stadiums when he comes to speak. So um, he came to Fort Wayne on his bus tour last year. And I thought, Oh, I'll just pop over and see Bob, you know, cause we're buds and, the, the line to talk to him after the event is around the building. It's hours long around the building. So I was just like, see ya. But you go out to Anaheim and he has created this small group experience because he values small groups and it's not a high ticket item either. And I love this about him. It's so counterintuitive. It's a small group event. There's 60 people in the room for two days and it's very affordable. And he doesn't, blow out his marketing to get it all over the world. It's just, you know, if you see it and you grab it, you're in. And so I've been able to go for the last two years and it has been transformational for me, but it's also inspired me to create my programs. So I want to have a very accessible program for people, but I want to be able to keep it small so they can really build that community, really feel like they're getting grounded in that community and in that process. And not that you're just going to a giant big conference and, you know, skimming off the top and taking what you can. Yes. I'm writing down, there's something about being counterintuitive and not assuming the values of modern day life. Maybe you have different values that matter to you. Yeah, exactly. It's not always more is better. And people always say, what advice would you give to someone? And my, I hate, I mean, my advice is cheesy as it sounds is hire a coach, find a coach to work with you. It's the best investment you will ever make in your life. If I had not hired a coach, I would still be in sales and I would be miserable. I'd be blowing out my adrenals. My family would be miserable. I would be look 10 years older. I mean, I'm just so thankful that I had a coach that, you know, a coach's job is to see you and to help you see yourself and to help you navigate all that's going on and all that you feel drawn to. I mean, I can go into a coaching session thinking I'm going to do this. And then my coach will reflect back to me, my values and what really matters to me. And I'll make a better decision after that session. So that's the value of coaching and and not to just be a complete advertisement here for our coaching businesses, but that's why we do what we do because it makes a huge difference for people. Yep. That's very, and you share that in your book, 
you know, there's, you have a whole chapter about inviting powerful partnerships. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those are free. Sometimes it's just kind of changing some of the friends we're with. Sometimes it's strategic and saying, this is how I'm going to invest in myself because I know that the dividends will be much bigger than the investment. Yeah. I'm curious, what do you think stops people from making new relationships, either paid, unpaid friendships? What do you think makes it hard for us to find and create powerful partnerships? It's a great question um, because they're so influential. You know, there's a yes. saying that we become like the five people we hang around. I think there's a lot oh, yeah. of truth to that. Um, but we get comfortable. You know, there there is some value in people that know us, like our relationship, we've known each other for a long time. I mean, unfortunately, you're one of those people that challenges me and helps me grow. But I share several stories of this in the book because it's a big issue. Um, it's the it's the kind of the last thing I address in the book because I, I like to help people align. Like I want them to have a sense of purpose. I want them to know what their vision for their life is. I want them to have a sense of agency. Um, and that's important because if you get around a bunch of, um, you know, strong-willed people, you can morph to what they're doing and you need to know who you are before. And when you do that, you can enter into healthy, you know, powerful partnerships. Yes. But, but I think, you know, I had a client one time that said if he was kind of an Eeyore type of a client um, and he was like, my, my friends are never going to believe this. He really was starting to get excited about his vision and my friends are never going to go for this. They're never going to. And and that kind of was a big obstacle for him. Mm. So it's important, but when we grow, and I'm sure you've experienced this, when we grow, it can inspire those around us and it can also make them feel uncomfortable because if they, if you're blowing your limiting beliefs away and you're doing things that they have been telling themselves were not possible, it, they've got evidence right in their face and they have to, it's going to make them uncomfortable. So you have to be intentional about forming new relationships when you're going to grow. That is, so it's almost like in the, the social part of us that wants to be connected and kind of be in our, our, um, herd of humans or our village, it's can be really painful to grow because you know, and you've seen in my life, I've seen it in yours where there's people that say, keep growing, but not in that direction. I don't don't know what to do, you know, you know? Yeah. And then we say, and we have to reset and then we think, what's wrong with me? Nobody wants to be around me. And, you know, I think too, like anytime there's a broken relationship, we tend to view it as a loss. And I don't think it is. I think that I'm, I treasure the relationships that have been with me through the ages. And, you know, I've got high school friends, two high school friends that are, they know me inside and out and I've got you and I've got several friends who are that way, but really the bulk of our relationships do not walk with us through our entire lives. And so instead of seeing it as a loss, and then we've talked about this and we laugh all the time. It's like, sometimes people don't know how to have necessary endings. It's a great book by Henry Cloud, necessary endings. And if we don't know how to do it well, we have to throw people under the bus or we have to create some kind of a crisis where that relationship needs to end. And if we could instead just grow and recognize as we grow that sometimes our paths are going to diverge and someone's, I know I say this all the time, but they're on a different path. And that way no one has to be the bad guy. We can just recognize that they're on a different path and I need to follow my path so I can continue to grow and be who I need to be in the world. But we're not as close as we used to be. And that's okay. That really is a new way to think because I think some of us, have been trained to believe that good people keep the same friends their whole life. And if you can't keep friends, you're not a good person or you're not a good friend. And there's a lot of reasons in American culture 
that we don't stay in the same village or we don't stay with the same people. And I think that gives us permission to, you know, consider our needs. Yeah. Well, it would be almost impossible if you're growing and you're continuing to expand and, you know, get have new interests. It's we just have a limited capacity. Okay, so one of the other piece of this that I read that's throughout forces at work and any time that you are hiring a coach or growing, the other piece that really stands out is your relationship with yourself, not just other people. Mm -hmm. And so there's this part where you talk about, you talk about throughout the book, it's woven in, but taking time to journal and kind of set our trajectory with ourself, with our own mind. I have this journal, um, the cover just says who I am and what I create. Mm -hmm. But then we've got these, Gabby, you you took these awesome questions from um, Gabby Bernstein. Yep. And there's four of them. And I thought we could talk through these. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And there's two. The first journaling process that really got me in. I mean, I've journaled my whole life. Um, yeah. It's just therapeutic for me. I first got onto journaling, journaling through Julia Cameron. And she wrote a book called The Artist's Way. Oh, yes. Okay. So um, it, that is a classic. And what she encourages you to do is to wake up in the morning. And I literally sleep with my journal on my bed right next to me. So when I wake mm-hmm. up in the morning, I grab my journal and it's stream of consciousness. And she just says every morning, get up and do three pages. And you talk about creating space. You know, when we have all of these options in front of us and we need to create some space, if you do that every morning, you are literally emptying out what's in your head and creating space for what you want to put in your head. So Julia Cameron yeah. first, I don't know if I even mentioned that in the book, but that's, that's huge. And just, it's like every morning, get up and write three pages. And yep. it's amazing how healthy that, that's, that's good emotional hygiene, you know? And then I love it. Gab, Gabby's questions, and this is for people who would struggle to journal, don't know what to do when they get there and they're trying to create this really healthy habit and they're just like, I don't know what to write or what to do and what if someone reads this? I mean, you know, all of that stuff. So Gabby has these four questions and I've been doing this for years and this helps you really set intention for your life. And the first question is, uh, how do I want to feel today? And right there, boom, even the fact that you're asking your question, you know, your mind is going to go down yeah. or your your brain is going to go down whatever road your mind tells it to. And it does that through the questions that we ask. Exactly. So instead of what can go wrong today or whatever else we're going to, you know, just let fall into our brain in the morning. When you start your day by asking, how do I want to feel today? You know, mm-hmm. my answers are like grounded, secure, peaceful, happy, celebrated. I mean, every morning it's different words, but they're the words that I want to be intentional about my day. So that number one, how do I want to feel today? Yeah. And because you know what, we get what we expect. And if we expect to feel happy and heard and whatever it is every day, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely different for me every day, depending on what's, what's going on in my life. And then the second question is, what do I want to receive today? Mm-hmm. What do I want to receive today? And I find it interesting that that question comes before what do I want to give today? So but isn't the, that curious? Yeah. What do I want to receive today? And for me, it's um, encouragement. You know, one time I even wrote um, two new clients and Linz, I am not kidding you. I had them by five o'clock. I mean, what do I want to receive today? I need two new clients, five o'clock. And I had contracts in hand like people that I didn't even have on my screen. So it can be really powerful. Like you get into this and you start, I think that when we have intentions, you know, our, our brain is constantly working on our behalf and it's going to, it's going to follow whatever thoughts we have in our, in our mind. 
And when we're yeah. intentional about it, our non-conscious brain all of a sudden is looking for resources and opportunities that we would not have paid attention to had we not been asking ourselves these questions. So what do I want to, how do I want to feel? What do I want to receive today? What do I want to give today? Yep. And a lot of times we're gearing up to give stuff we don't want to give during the day or we don't have the energy to give. <laughs> and that one resets me. It's like, oh, I don't want to give all that today. Um, I want to be a good listener today. I want to be present today. I want to give. And then, you know, I'll have a friend who calls me up at last minute and wants to go for a walk over lunch. And I'm like, yes, that's a yes for me because I knew in the morning I was ready for an experience like that. And then the last one is who do I want to be today? Um, and that is, uh, you know, for me, this is, I don't, maybe this is too specific, but I've always had this issue with my name and you, cause you know, my real name is Martha. You're one of the yes. people that knows that Yep. my middle name is Joan. N- no one would wreck I mean, if, if we were at school and the teacher called my name, you wouldn't even know. You'd be like, who's Martha? Who's Martha Joan? <laughs> and I looked up the meaning of my name this year. And so when I, when I don't know what to say, if I'm journaling really quickly in the morning, my name, it means the woman who knows that God is gracious. And as you know, I have been deconstructing my faith in a lot of ways and challenging things that I believed for a long time and really seeking truth on a whole new level. And that just, that just centers me so much to who do I want to be today? The woman that knows that God is gracious. And it just, it just kind of ties up my morning with a bow and then off I go to live my day. Hmm. This idea, though, of setting yourself up, not letting the world come at you, but setting yourself up to decide how you will perceive the day, how you'll live it out. That's where, you know, when when we're able to do that as leaders, we are actually co-creating the future. It's not just hitting us constantly. It is the power of intention. It's the beginning of the power of intention. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I know that you, you kind of shared if you had one piece of advice it would be to get a coach and to have a partner, have relationships where people have your best intentions in mind and they're trained to help you shift the way you think and your intentions. Any other advice you would give to our listeners on the porch? I think that, you know, one of my favorite topics to teach people about is vision and having a compelling vision Mm -hmm. for your life, you know, because we are going to create, we all have an idea in our head of what we think, is going to happen or how we think things are going to turn out. Yes. And neuroscience is showing us the power of our imagination. And, and people have been trying to tell us this for years. They just haven't been in the mainstream. You know, Albert yeah. Einstein talked about this a lot. And I think it's take learning to use your imagination because we don't know how. Um, and because w- when we use our imagination, then we do our, we do free up our brain to start looking towards the outcome that we want instead of just accepting what comes at us. So that would be learn how to dream again, learn how to really engage your imagination in your life. And I start, I begin talking about that in the book. There's some help there too, but find someone that can help you dream. And, and one, just one quick tip is begin asking what would be the highest and best outcome for me this year? Um, if life just turned amazing overnight, full color, amazing life, better than I could imagine, what would be happening in my life? And allow yourself to suspend reality and suspend your current situation and imagine what an amazing life would look like for you. Um, and it takes courage to do that because sometimes people don't want to do that because they don't want to feel the pain of whatever is the gap of their reality and their vision. Mm-hmm. But it's really helpful. I, I promise you, if you do it year after year, you'll, you'll get closer to that vision of what you really want. 
I love this. I love hearing just, you know, there's some behaviors that when we start bringing them into our world and dare, dare ourselves to use our imagination, eliminate tolerations, bring right people into our lives. Yeah. It's part of your messaging is really, this is how you set the environment yeah. to live a life you could have never imagined before. You've, you've got all these pieces when we put into place, everything is working in your favor. Yeah. And it's funny how there was this whole movement back in the day about visualizing, you know, and everyone was doing those um, vision boards and I'm going to have a Ferrari and all this kind of stuff, you know, and and it's not that, but we are learning the power of visualization because that's what makes it possible. You know, at one time, cell phones seemed impossible. Air travel seemed impossible. Someone mm-hmm. had to imagine that before we could go to work and make it possible. And so that's what, why we want to always, every human being on the planet has an imagination and has ideas that I think we are given and inspired by. And it's really sad to me when they're not brought into the world, you know, mm. they, where they die before they ever have a, have a chance to be brought into the world. Mm. That's really, it's very interesting to leave the belief, like some people have imagination, some people are creative and some people aren't. I hear you saying everyone can yeah. tap into their creativity and the yeah. world misses out when we don't. Right. Because we value certain things in the world, but I believe that we each have a very unique and very important purpose to find and fulfill. And it's one that will give us joy. Um, it And it might be weird. You know, someone might think that's not a viable purpose, but I have found that if you follow those desires, it really becomes something special and it really becomes something valuable to the world. I love it. It's not just for us. It's for everyone. It's for everyone's sake. I love that. Missy, if folks want to get a hold of you, if they want to have a conversation with you, if they're looking for a coach, obviously you've got the book. The book gives a lot of concrete skills and guidance to continue to grow. But how can they get a hold of you if they want, if they're like, you know what, I'm, I get it. I do need a coach on my team. What's the best yeah. way to do that? Um, well, go through my website. I'm yep. offering three opportunities right now. Um, one-on-one coaching, which I have very limited um, availability for that right now, but I have some. And then um, in December, I do a retreat in Destin. So I think I've got three spots left. There's two different sessions happening and there's two spots in one and and one in the other. And that's where you come down for a week and it's a small group of nine or 10 women. Um, And we stay in this amazing condos on Destin and we reflect on the last year and then I help them set their plan for the coming year. So that's another place they can connect with me. And then I'm starting a new program in January called Powerful Partnerships. It's a combination of one-on-one coaching with me a monthly group coaching experience, and then a quarterly live event, which is going to be called Forces at Work Live. And I could not be more excited. To, to, to I've been waiting to do this for so long, and I cannot wait for this. So that's really going to be my primary focus this year is to be welcoming people into that program. And it'll be probably a smaller program like the one I was sharing, like Bob Goff does. I love that. So, that's exciting. Yeah. That's exciting. Doors are open. Exactly. Go to missyshopshire.com. Learn more. There's so much that you can learn from Missy. Missy, thank you for coming on the porch today and sharing all of this wealth of information with us today. Thank you, Lindsay. You're dear to me. Thank you for the work that you do. I follow everything you do and the world is lucky to have you and lucky that you did this work. I mean, you, when I talk about being a force at work, you are one of the faces that it comes into my mind because you've done it and I'm super proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. That's so kind. We will see you soon on the porch. 
Send this episode to your friends, to your colleagues. It's a shot of courage in the arm and grab Missy's book. It's being sold everywhere. So all you do is Google her name and you'll find it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Lynn.